The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Well, good evening to those who are uh, here in person. It's been a pleasure to pray with you guys for this last hour and to hear those needs. And uh, if you're participating online through the live stream, we welcome you to this evening. And I ask uh, all those who are listening in and for those who are here to join with me uh, in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we continue on. We persevere in our study of the book of Galatians and uh, continue on to find out more of what Paul is uh, writing about concerning the issues there that were happening in the churches in Galatia, that region that we spoke about back at the beginning of our study. And... uh, a uh, continuous issue that was happening there in the churches in Galatia as uh, it infiltrated the churches in the doctrine, the pure doctrine of Christ and Paul's gospel. And so thus we look at God's word here to see what we can learn this evening. Uh, if you're there with me now, Galatians chapter 5, you may remember that last time that, we, that I was here and uh, that we were in this section of scripture, uh, we learned several realities uh, concerning... Uh, the fact that if you embrace uh, legalism, you are also embracing these things as well. Uh, remember with me, and perhaps uh, you already know, that when we speak of legalism, uh, we are, are speaking about salvation by works, a law-based salvation. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people will misuse the term legalism to refer to any kind of uh, adherence to uh, godliness and really uh, a, uh, a perseverance in obe- obeying Christ's word of how we ought to live a life of holiness and godliness that is not how we are using legalism now that's not how Paul is using the term legalism or that idea of legalism here in Galatians uh, he's referring it to legalism as a means of gaining salvation through works And so uh, last time we looked at these realities of embracing legalism. And the first one that we looked at uh, was that legalism hinders obedience to the truth. Legalism uh, hinders obedience to the truth. And we saw that in verse 5. Paul writes to the Galatians there, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So the first reality we saw that uh, embracing legalism uh, hinders you obey, hinders you from obeying the truth, the truth that is synonymous with believing in the gospel. That's what Paul is speaking about here. Secondly, uh, second, uh, embracing legalism means that you are embracing a doctrine that is not from God. Look at verse eight. Paul writes, "This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you, the one who has called them to." The truth. We talked about that. We went back to Galatians chapter 1 and talked about the fact that God had called them uh, to salvation. So uh, not only does it hinder you from obeying the truth, it is not from God himself. Neither are those who propagate the gospel. These false teachers are not sent by God. And uh, thirdly, we see that legalism, legalism contaminates the whole church. We saw that in verse 9. Paul writes, a little leaven... Uh, leavens the whole lump. 
I take this to mean or that Paul is referring to the, the false doctrine that was being spread. And of course, obviously, the false teachers themselves who were within the churches. And Paul is warning them that if you uh, that by embracing this, uh, you are allowing it to propagate and to spread. And that is what legalism does uh, in a church. It spreads amongst uh, the believers. It is embraced by the whole church and ultimately it will corrupt and contaminate the doctrine of the church. However, we see that Paul makes certain that the fact that these false teachers will in fact receive judgment, just judgment from God for distorting the truth and opposing the work and doctrinal purity of the churches. We see this in verse 10. Paul writes, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you, that is those false teachers, the Judaizers, which we have been speaking about here in Galatians, they shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul expresses his confidence that there truly are some in, Galat- in the Galatian churches that uh, will not uh, succumb to the teaching of the false teachers. He has confidence that not all have departed the faith, but some are indeed still running well, despite the leaven of false doctrine, while others have... Uh, been persuaded by the teaching of the Judaizers, and Paul fears that perhaps some have fallen away and are now embracing a false gospel. That's where we landed last time, and now in verses 11 through 13, our primary verses uh, for this evening, uh, we are going to recognize uh, two uh, main ideas here. The first one that is that Paul does not preach circumcision for salvation. Rather, salvation is by faith alone. Uh, and a reoccurring idea and truth that Paul has been speaking about in Galatians, but he again uh, clarifies this through uh, counter, countering up this false idea that we're going to talk about in just a moment. And then uh, also in 13 through 15, though we won't get to all of that this evening, uh, Paul is going to encourage and relay the truth that the liberty believers have in Christ is not to be used for licentiousness, but service to Christ. We see that in verses 13 through 15. But will you look with me now at verses 11 and 12, and let me read those to you now, follow along, and we'll speak about them for a moment. Paul writes here in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that these who trouble you should even cut themselves off. So we ask ourselves, what is Paul speaking about here in verse 11? Well, the phrase, if I still preach circumcision, indicates that there was an idea that Paul was actually preaching circumcision, just as the false teachers were doing. Some, for some reason or somehow the Judaizers were advocating amongst the Galatians that Paul's message and their message was very much identical. They came on the heels of Paul to the Galatian churches and said, look, Paul, perhaps even if he didn't tell you this, he, he too preaches circumcision. And, uh, and he is, his message is identical to ours or very similar. And they were presumably getting some of the Galatians to fall for this if I can say, quote-unquote, fake news. 
We hear about this today a lot, don't we? The fake news that's being spread. Social media uh, platforms love to, uh, to identify these things as fake news. Fact checkers out there trying to uh, tell you that uh, such and such an article includes false, false truth or false, false uh, things and that it's not the truth. And uh, we have this going on very much these days. And so uh, verse, verse 11, I've, I've titled this idea, Fake News Versus the Reality of Paul's Message. We see this in verse 11. And this fake news that uh, is being propagated by the Judaizers is that Paul also preaches circumcision for salvation. And that is not the truth. We're going to see that in a moment. Think about it maybe in this way, however, that if Paul were able to fact check this idea that he teaches circumcision for our salvation, if he were able to fact check this idea today, he may perhaps open the text of scripture and show them the real facts that confirm that he does not in fact teach circumcision is required for salvation. Rather, he preaches that it is by faith alone. But, of course, Paul is not here today to do that. Uh, and, and to look into those texts. So if I could, on his behalf, if I can even say that for a moment, uh, fact check for you the fact that this is truly fake news, that Paul was spreading a gospel that uh, salvation requires circumcision. The word uh, circumcision is used 54 times in the New Testament, sometimes used as a literal reference to physical circumcision. And others, as a spiritual analogy to perhaps regeneration or faith, the act that happens uh, on our behalf, bringing us to faith. But only once after Paul's conversion, so after his conversion from Judaism, in which he propagated the law and the idea of circumcision, but only uh, only once after Paul's conversion did Paul ever advise someone who was already believing, meaning an already believer, to be circumcised. And that was Timothy. He's the only one. And uh, we need to understand that uh, this was only on the account of the Jews to whom they would be ministering in order to minimize the criticism uh, that they could receive for Timothy not being a circumcised uh, male because uh, his mother being a Jew. So in essence, really the only reason that Paul advised Timothy to be circumcised already being a believer, so that uh, it would be, a be so that they could avoid any distraction from the gospel, avoid and minimize that criticism from the Jews. Look with me for a moment at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. In verses 19, Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. 
Now, what is his reasoning for doing all of this? Well, verse 23 tells us, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So, yes, indeed, Paul often did things in order to win some, but that is not at the uh, sacrifice of giving up uh, the pure doctrine in which he taught. Paul was not teaching circumcision for our salvation when he encouraged Timothy to be circumcised. It was for the gospel's sake so that it could go forth undistracted and, and avoid any distractions from its truth. So here we begin our, our idea of fact-checking, fact-checking the idea that Paul is propagating uh, this idea that circumcision is required to be saved. It is not. The only t- instance here we see where he encouraged it was for Timothy's sake. And it wasn't for his salvation, but as to avoid distraction from the gospel itself. This is an exception. Uh, Timothy's uh, case is an exception to Paul's really overall view of circumcision. And he did not advise uh, it uh, in other circumstances to, uh, that others should be circumcised. Think of Galatians chapter 2. Uh, you can turn with me there if you want. It will be a few places here in the next few moments. Uh, in Timothy's case, he encouraged him to be circumcised. But here we see in Titus's case, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, look at verse 1. It says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Then verse 3, Yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom uh, we did not yield submission even for an hour. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So even perhaps if uh, uh, if uh, they could, uh, the Judaizers could look to the case of Timothy, if it were that way. Uh, in the case of Titus, uh, obviously Paul did not encourage his circumcision. Acts uh, 21, 21 through 25 informs us that Paul had no issue with Jews practicing the Jewish customs and laws like circumcision. However, he is not endorsing legalism in this instance, meaning when we think of the true meaning of legalism, that is works-based salvation. He's not in, uh, in this case in Acts chapter 21. Uh, it's not that, again, as I said, he has an issue with them practicing circumcision or other rituals or laws. But he is not propagating or endorsing the idea that these things can inherit them their salvation or merit them God's divine favor for salvation. So we looked at the idea now that uh, Paul does not endorse the idea of circumcision uh, as a requirement for salvation. We saw Timothy's case is kind of an exception uh, and that wasn't for salvation. It was so that uh, the gospel would not be hindered. Also, we can look at the fact that many references to circumcision made by Paul have a negative connotation to them. Many of Paul's references to circumcision circumcision have a negative connotation to them. Look with me at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. 
In Romans chapter 2, verse 25, I'll give you a moment to turn there. All of these verses will help uh, or bring to light the fact that, again, as I said, Paul often references it in a negative connotation. Here in verse 25, he says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Look with me also at verse 27. I'll just kind of uh, walk us through these texts uh, rather quickly here. Paul writes in verse 27 of chapter 2 in Romans, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, referring to circumcision and things of that nature, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly in circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Or look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? Then turn with me for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 17, verse 18. So again, looking at this idea that uh, despite of what the Judaizers may say about Paul, uh, Paul often references circumcision in a very negative connotation, deeming it as prof, uh, profitless, of no value, uh, if there is not a circumcision of the heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 17. Sorry. I think I obviously have a... a uh, I think I mean chapter 7. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? Um, yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses... Uh, 18 and 19. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while... Uh, let me start that again. Verse, verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Again, Paul painting circumcision in a negative connotation, saying, what is it? What profit does it have unless he is obedient to God? Then we could turn back to the book which we've been studying, Galatians chapter 5, for a moment. Again, all just referencing quickly these references that Paul makes of circumcision. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. We were just here last hour, two weeks ago, or two, two times ago. Paul writes, Indeed I say, indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who became circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Verse 6. 
For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And then uh, verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. We could also look at uh, Acts chapter 15, though we won't for the sake of time this evening, but uh, we see there the Jerusalem Council, which addresses this very issue of circumcision and uh, whether or not it is required uh, for the Gentiles to do in order for salvation. And uh, there we see that uh, what is said is in total agreement with Paul's theology about this whole idea that circumcision is not required, uh, whether for the Jew or the Gentile, for their salvation. You can look up Acts chapter 15 uh, in that whole discourse there. However, uh, that's only my references, my, if you could say, fact-checking. Paul gives his own proof here in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we just need to le- read a little bit further on in that verse. Uh, and here we see proof of Paul, pr- Paul's own proof to the Galatians in verse 11. He says, And I, brethren, back here in Galatians chapter 5, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Here's Paul's own proof here. That he provides. He asks this question. Uh, Dr. Walverd, uh, in his theology book called the Knowledge or the Bible Knowledge Commentary, says this. Paul counters with a simple question: How is it that he is he, meaning Paul, was still being persecuted by the Judaizers if he preached the same message they did? That's Paul's own question here. If Paul were preaching circumcision, the offense of the cross would have ceased to exist in his ministry. But it had not because people still found the gospel message, which proclaims man's total inability to contribute anything to his salvation, offensive. The word here, uh, offense, offense. is the same idea as what's used in 1 Corinthians 1.23 when it speaks of a stumbling block. It's a stumbling, stumbling block for them. It's an offense to them. It's in the way of their idea and their ideology and their theology that teaches that man can achieve his salvation on his own. The fact is, as the Galatians were probably well aware of, and so were the Judaizers, that Paul was still being persecuted by the Jews for embracing that faith alone is sufficient for salvation. There's no way of getting around that, Paul is saying. Look, I still am persecuted. So how can you say that I teach a message that correlates with the message of the Judaizers? It can't be. Facts are facts. The Jews were scandalized by the cross because it nullified not only the Mosaic law, but also their highly revered traditions, like circumcision and the feasts and the festivals and all the rituals. 
Paul's message became to them a stumbling block that made them retaliate against truth bearers like Paul and to slander him and to, and to persecute him. The truth, the truth is, the message of the cross stands in the way of any paganistic, any false gospel, any false belief that humans can achieve God's favor on and by their own doing. Persecution today of Christians and in that time, and the disdain for the Bible and the message that it bears tells us that the offense of the cross has not ceased. It continues on. Persecution is proof of that. So then, we might say, contrary to the fake news that Paul preached circumcision for salvation, Paul was actually preaching a message of salvation apart from that need. Let me turn just for a moment to Romans chapter 3. Turn back there to Romans again. Here we find the truth, the reality of Paul's message. What was the content of Paul's message? If it wasn't that circumcision was required, then what was Paul's message? Well, we see here Romans chapter 3. Look with me for a moment at verse 30. Romans chapter 3, verse 30. Well, let me begin in verse 28. It says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So there we go. We have the content of Paul's message. It doesn't matter circumcision or uncircumcision. It's by one condition. Faith. Not faith plus circumcision. Not faith plus works. Not faith plus uh, observance of festivals and season years and times. But faith alone. Or you could look with me at chapter 4 verse 12 of Romans to find further evidence of Paul's message. It says there, uh, let me begin in verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, speaking of Moses, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision is to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Or we could look for a moment, uh, one more moment at 1 Corinthians. We turn back there again. I trust that you are the crowd that's well acquainted with Scripture and can follow along in these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17. Excuse me. Uh, I don't think that's the passage that I had in mind. It's okay. Let me come back to that if I can remember for a moment. Turn with me back to Galatians, though. For a moment. 
fact is, these and many other verses uh, promote the idea and uh, reveal the, the fact that Paul's message was not one of circumcision, but by faith alone, contrary to what was being said of him in Galatia. On that basis, then, uh, Paul continues on in verse 12. He says, then, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul closes his argument against the false teachers with a harsh statement in verse 12. The word uh, mutilate in Greek literally means to cut off. Especially a physical member of the body and hence to, to mutilate the body itself. And uh, as it's been said by one, one uh, author and theologian, the word was often used of castration. And that is clearly Paul's meaning here. He is probably referring uh, to, a, to a call of a, a pagan society, a popular pagan uh, nature goddess in Paul's day that encouraged the idea of castration and, and cutting uh, physical members a physical, physical member of a body off. In, in, that, uh, in that cult, many devout male worshipers uh, would castrate themselves and all its priests were self-made eunuchs. And Paul uses this harsh statement uh, not to, to, to desire or to cast a punishment upon them as if he wishes uh, he could punish them in this way or that they would punish themselves in this way. Rather, I think... Uh, to be clear, uh, since Paul has already expressed his confidence that God will be the one who's doing the punishing and the judging, we saw that back in verse 10. Rather, I think Paul is making the point that if the Judaizers believe that their human effort, like circumcision, is significant to their salvation and their divine favor before God, then why not go all the way, go to, to the extreme? like these paganistic people who castrate themselves. Why not, why not the Judaizers go all the way, all the way to extreme measures to achieve ultimate favor through human efforts by cutting themselves off in the same manner? If they really believe that this is uh, gaining them and meriting them divine, divine favor, then why not go to all extremes to gain that favor like these paganistic people uh, do to themselves? Paul then, as we close this evening, uh, addresses uh, another issue here that we spoke about at the beginning in verses 13 through 15. And let me just kind of outline that for you a moment, and that will become our preface uh, as we look at the rest of chapter 5, primarily verses 16 to the end. We said earlier that uh, in this evening's text, Paul is not preaching circumcision for salvation, rather faith alone, then also in verses 13 through 15. Paul speaks about the fact that believers have liberty in Christ. However, that liberty is not meant to be used for licentiousness, to do whatever they desire, but rather to please God through service to him. And in verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, and even in this, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You see, unlike the message of the Judaizers, the message of Christ is one of freedom. Free from the list of laws and regulations to abide by to obtain our salvation like the Judaizers were promoting. It is free from these kind of things. As the text will make clear later on in just a moment and when we look at next time, the liberty that Paul speaks about pertains to the liberty that we have from the law as a means of salvation. Let me say that again. The liberty that Paul speaks about here pertains to the liberty that we have from the law as a means of salvation. Paul is speaking about justification here, the means of gaining and uh, receiving one's salvation through Christ. Paul is not saying that Christians have uh, a kind of open-ended freedom to do whatever their heart desires and to live however they want. In fact, uh, before we were saved, we were not as free as we thought we were to do whatever we wanted. John 8.34 says that before salvation, we were, in fact, enslaved to sin. John 8.34 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So, in fact, uh, if we thought beforehand, before we were saved, that we had freedom to do whatever we wished and desired, uh, we were, in fact, uh, still uh, enslaved to sin. We still had a master telling us what to do, and that was sin. And even human effort can never achieve freedom from sin, but it actually leads us deeper into a life of enslavement to sin. True freedom is found and obtained through the Son. John 8, 35 and 36 say this, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. To be made free by the Son is to be made free from sin and death. It is to be called by God to salvation to be made an adult son of God with full rights and inheritance in Christ. We spoke about that back in Galatians. It is to be called according to his grace and to be made alive in Christ to live a life of godliness that is pleasing in his sight. That is what the freedom of, that a believer has in Christ is about. That is why Paul encourages the believers to beware of misusing that freedom which they received here in verse 13. It's not to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. That freedom is to be used as a means to live a life of godliness that is pleasing in his sight. So we'll close there this evening. And uh, we see here in verse 13, and we'll look at this later on when we uh, come back to this text, that... Paul is going to encourage the believers to avoid that licentiousness of using that liberty to gratify the flesh. Rather, as he will speak about in verses, verse 14, to use that freedom as a means to serve one another in love and to live a life of godliness. To uh, kind of circle around to where we were at the beginning here, as we've covered a lot uh, in various texts, uh, Paul is making the Galatians well aware that uh, the gospel of Christ is one uh, that is found in Christ alone in the finished work of the cross. It is not one that requires human effort. Uh, 
It requires faith, but even that is given by God for us to believe. And it is not a message that includes human effort like circumcision. And that's not what Paul preached. And that is not we are, what we are to preach today at all. Uh, we are not to preach legalism. Neither are we to preach licentiousness, but rather a life uh, that is submitted to Christ in obeying his word out of a love for him. Would you uh, bow with me as we close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that as we've sought to rightly divide the word of truth this evening, that we have seen uh, with clarity, uh, not because of my words, but because of your word that is written here, that uh, the pure truth, the the pure uh, gospel truth is that our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Lord, though, uh, though people, the world will try to skew that, and try to promote and pervert the gospel, as Paul even talks about in Galatians 1, to a gospel that is not true, to one that includes human effort and self-merit, and away from one that preaches Christ alone. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful, as Paul was, to counterattack any kind of idea that we preach that kind of gospel, a false one, but rather we would stand firm upon the text which we believe and live by that teaches that our salvation is by, by, by faith alone. And furthermore, Lord, as we saw even briefly this evening, that that does not mean we are free to do whatever, but that the very fact that Christ has made us free so that we may freely live in him and have uh, the spirit within us to encourage us and to, and to, and to guide us into godliness and, and maturity in the faith. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that freedom. May we now live in it and, uh, and be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. We ask for your strength in this area this evening. In your name we pray. Amen.